In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Hey everybody, thanks for listening to another episode of Oil & Gas HSE, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. And thanks to the show's sponsor today, Technape FMC. Technape FMC is a leading technology provider to the traditional and new energy industries, delivering fully integrated projects, products, and services with their proprietary technologies and comprehensive solutions. Technape FMC is helping their clients to support their energy transition ambitions by developing new energy resources and reducing carbon intensity. Tell them thank you for sponsoring the show by going to their website at technapefmc.com. Check out their iComplete system that optimizes fracking operations with 30% lower costs and also see how their trademarked emission can give operators and producers real-time monitoring and control to reduce flaring while increasing production. Technape FMC, the future of the energy industry. Okay, and when you get finally publication, I don't know if this is a fair question to ask, but all this that you just went through, how the mm -hmm. standards are developed, and how long does this, I mean, is it fair to put a time frame on this? How long does this take? No, that's a really good question, and that's one that we get asked quite regularly. And it's always dependent upon typically the subject and the level of support that the member companies can provide us and the industry committee members can provide us. You have to remember that you know our staff is fairly small in our standards group. I think we're right around, I think our staff complements right around 20 or so between the editors, the administrative staff, and of course the program managers, the individuals that actually work directly with the committees. We have over 10,000, I believe, we just crossed that threshold, individual subject matter experts in our database that work on these standards. Now, granted, they're not all working at the same time. The standards will be revised and then, you know, not worked on for a period of time. But those SMEs all have, you know, typically full-time jobs within the industry. So it really gets back to, you know, the level of support that we get from industry. We do track this information and we, you know, report out on a six-month basis to our parent committees about, you know, the standards cycle times. Typically, if it's normal cycle time, this process is going to take, you know, anywhere from 30 to 36 months, typically a little over two and a half to three years from start to finish. We have had standards that have been super safety critical or industry need critical where the member companies come to us and say, look, you know, we need this standard out and we really need it out as soon as possible. So we're going to give you the resources you need. And we've published, you know, full standards in well under a year. So it really depends on that level of resourcing that the member companies can provide us. As I like to say to my staff, you know, sometimes the standards committees are chasing you and sometimes you're chasing them, right? Sometimes you're kind of prodding them to kind of get them moving along because they have a lot of things on their plates. And sometimes they're coming to us saying, hey, this is such a priority. We need a person dedicated to this full time. And we're going to give you that resource to make sure it gets out in a timely fashion. So it really is driven by that, but just on average, it's somewhere in between, you know, that two and a half to three year cycle. Okay. So you just said something about maybe sometime one of your member companies comes and says, hey, we need this standard. So how does API determine what kind of standards need to be developed? And you just mentioned one area there, I guess. Are there others? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. It's kind of what I like to say that the standards process is both 
kind of, you know, top down and bottom up. So as I mentioned, we have, I think it's close to 500 different standards, committees, task groups, and work groups, you know, all matrixed up amongst our four primary standards development program areas. And that's, of course, Committee on Pipeline Standards, which obviously that's what they do. Committee on Petroleum Measurement. Petroleum Measurement's a really interesting technology, you know, because we want to measure properly what's coming off those leases, both the operators and, you know, the buyers and the sellers want to make sure, you know, that they're being, you know, equitably treated when you're measuring what's coming off that lease or what's going through that pipeline or at the end of the day, what's ending up in the consumer's gas tank. So we have those standards. Then we have the Committee on Refinery Equipment, which is obvious all the refinery equipment standards, the big pumps, the compressors, the above ground storage tank, and a whole series of safety inspection standards and codes that help us operate those refineries safely. And then finally, our longest running and our oldest standards committee, which is actually meeting next week in Dallas, is our Committee on Standardization of Oil Field Equipment and Materials. So that's obviously drill bits, drill pipe, offshore structures, just about everything that you can imagine in the E&P world. So those committees all have subcommittees and task groups and work groups, and those individuals within the subcommittee context can nominate and develop one of these SR3 project proposal forms that I mentioned and say, hey, we need a new standard on this subject, or we need a new standard on that subject. A great example of something coming right now that's very timely from the bottom up, if you will, from this approach is our subcommittee on materials has developed a series or is developing a series of standards on additive manufacturing, 3D printing. So we published our first 3D printing standard, first in the industry really, for oil and natural gas a number of years ago, and it was on metallics and how you do 3D printing on metallics. And now the same group has stood up and we're getting ready in the next few months to publish the first 3D printing standard for non-metallics. And then they also have proposed that we start looking at sort of some qualitative analysis on that 3D printing. So there's likely to be some additional standards. So that's a great example of the standard coming from sort of that bottom up. Now, from the top side, we have parent committees that all these committees report to that are typically tied into the segments. And so going to the example of how it comes from, you know, the leadership down to us at our upstream committee, which is made up of all of the most senior API member company representatives involved in upstream. So typically, you know, either senior vice presidents or presidents of those operating units, depending on how our member companies are structured, they always start their meetings off. And I think this is really important to highlight. This is like very, very senior individuals. They always start their meeting off with a safety share. You know, they look to their members to say, hey, let's talk about a safety share. Let's talk about something that occurred that we can all learn from. And so a number of years ago, one of the safety shares from one of the member companies was an issue with what's called hammer unions, which are very common commodity products in the industry that look very common and connect, you know, high pressure piping and hosing in the industry. And what had happened was someone's safety share was, hey, we had a situation where we had a mismatched hammer union. There was a release under pressure. Thankfully, there was no catastrophic event. No one was, you know, seriously injured. Thank goodness. Thank God there was no fatalities. But, you know, we wanted to bring this to the committee. And so coming out of that was direction from that top level committee. Again, that's that top down approach on standards development saying, hey, Committee on Standardization of Oil Field Equipment and Materials, hammer unions are used throughout the industry and we need a standard on hammer unions. And so based on that, 
we first developed a recommended practice on how to use them in the field because there really was a lot of information out there from the manufacturers, but there wasn't anything that was consensus-based from API saying, okay, when you're using ham reunions, these are the kinds of things you need to think about. And then building on that, we've just now published recently an actual specification for the manufacture of ham reunions. Again, going back to that safety and interchangeability issue of what are the common designs? What are the common threads? What are the kind of things that we can do to make what is generally a pretty safe industry that much more safer? So there's a couple of examples for you, Russell, of sort of that bottom-up additive manufacturing being an industry initiative that folks said, hey, we need to get our arms around this. This is coming. How do we standardize on it? And pop down from a segment committee, from a very, very senior API policy committee saying, hey, out of this safety share, we understand we need a standard or a series of standards addressing this issue. And then that same process would also apply to how already existing standards are updated and what prompts an update, right? Exactly, exactly. So our standard cycle as part of our ANSI accreditation is we don't just publish these documents and kind of put them on a shelf and forget about them. We have a requirement in our procedures for standards development that these standards are revised, reaffirmed, or withdrawn every five years. And so at a minimum, looking at these standards and saying every five years has the technology changed, has things improved in the industry that we can now again, make improvements in our standard, make updates to our standard to recognize new technologies, maybe new alloys, maybe new requirements from a regulatory standpoint that we need to be cognizant of in the standards. So the standards are looked at every five years, but some of our more critical standards where there's just a lot of activity on are going to be revised on a more frequent basis. So when you think about things like in the upstream area, you know, our valve standards for our Christmas trees, you know, there's always new technologies and how we can reduce emissions, how we can make those pieces of equipment safer. In the refining world, of course, the big above ground storage tank standards, those big 650 series standards that you literally see around the world, those are under what we call continuous maintenance, where we know we're going to publish updates, you know, every, you know, 24 to 36 months and then roll those into those new additions. So again, to your point, it's prompted by you know, industry safety and technological needs or just changes in the industry that we need to be cognizant of and, and include in our standard. Okay, so two or three more things, and we're going to wrap this up. And again, I appreciate you coming on the show. Sure. I'm thrilled to be associated, to be able to be a part of promoting API as they promote safety standards, as they promote setting standards for safety and sustainability. But back to these publications, so you have a standard Mm -hmm. and you have, maybe it's not a standard, but you call it a spec or you call it a recommended practice or you have bulletins or you have technical reports. Is there any difference in these? Yeah. In our procedures, they're all standards with a lowercase s, if you will, because we use the same accredited process to develop them. But if you think about it, a recommended practice tends to be more operational maybe field recommendations, it's more of an operational document. A specification is typically more designed for manufacturing, like how do you make something? And then we have some documents that are called standards, which are documents that combine elements of both. And so in particular, that's pretty prevalent in our downstream work where their pumps and compressor documents are going to use information on field operations and the manufacturing side to help build that document. So that's kind of a document that combines both elements. And then we also publish 
you know, bulletins and technical reports, which tend to be sort of more kind of one-time, you know, documents that say we've done some funded research on, again, going back to the refining example, we've done funded research on some metallurgical alloys. So we'll publish that new edition of that document saying, here's the latest research on this kind of alloy. And it may not be republished again, because if we don't do any additional research, there's really nothing to add to it. So we really treat them all as lowercase standards, but we do use the term standard for those that combine elements of both sort of operational guidance and manufacturing issues. And then as we talked about on the last podcast, a lot of these standards do become a part of regulatory agencies and are enforced. But in a lot of instances, you provide and present these standards and it's voluntary compliance, which is more kudos to the industry and indication of the fact that the industry is concerned about health, safety, and the environment. And then one of the things I failed to mention, we talked a little bit about your varied career on the last podcast, but even despite all that, you landed at API. You've been there for 37 years, right? Yes, sir. 37 years. We were looking at that the other day, thinking about the fact that that when you look at the arc of the Institute, I've essentially been there for a third of its existence, which is a pretty humbling thought. <laughs> you know, when you think about it, wow, yeah, I've, right. I've been there for a third of the organization. Wow. So what's one of the most interesting standards you've worked on? You know, I was thinking about that the other day, and I'm going to kind of go through a quick kind of, you know, explanation on that, because it's really more of a progression of standards than one single standard. I mean, obviously, I could point to the standard on community engagement for hydraulic fracturing operations. That was a great standard where we presented kind of the entire life cycle of a well from exploration through production through, you know, that whole process. But when I think about this, if I think about what we've done in offshore, and the reason I like to build on that is because as a civil engineer, obviously I'm really interested in structures. Yeah, API published its first recommended practice 2A, which is our basic design code for offshore structures in 1969. And back then, you know, we were all in shallow water, we were all on the shelf, and we were probably, you know, looking at a standard that was well under 100 pages. That standard has, you know, gone through many developments over the years. I think we're now somewhere in the 20th or 21st edition, and it's probably closing in on a thousand pages. But what's interesting about the trajectory of offshore operations is one of the first standards I started working on that I really sunk my teeth into was our recommended practice 2T on tension leg platforms. And the reason we had to do tension leg platforms is because industry found that it could safely operate and efficiently and environmentally soundly operate in deeper and deeper water. And we got to the point where we couldn't build the platforms. They were too big to move, right? I mean, literally we couldn't, we could design them, but you couldn't get them offshore. They were just too darn big. And they said, well, hey, do we have to have a fixed platform? Can we go to a tension leg? Can we go to these more compliant systems? And we said, well, gee, that's a great idea. So then in 87, we published RP2T, which is now since second edition. But then jump ahead another you know, number of years. And all of a sudden we're saying, well, now we're in such deep water, we can't even use tension leg, right? We can't even use compliance. <laughs> so we're going to go to FPSOs. We're going to go to two FPSOs. So then we published in 2001, the first edition of API RP2 FPS or floating production systems. And anything about that, wow, we're floating you know, on location. We have all these systems that keep us so we don't drift off. And we're producing from some really incredible depths. And if you think about 
the opportunity that standards and API have provided in support of the industry. Again, we could have written any of these without our member counterparts. And you think about a new country like that's new to oil and production like Guyana, and I've been to Guyana and met with their the equivalent of their environmental folks and the equivalent of their Bureau of Safety and Environmental Enforcement or their BSEE in effect, and talked about standards. And they are incorporating and have incorporated a series of our standards in their federal regs. If it wasn't for FPSOs, they would never have that resource. It simply wouldn't be available to raise that economy, to raise up their you know, standard of living to provide that resource to them because we could have never built a platform deep, you know, big enough to reach right. the depth. Yeah. And the TLPs yeah. wouldn't have worked either. So I think just the whole progression of how industry has innovated and how the standards have supported that innovation, some ways, you know, let it in other ways follow depending on where we were working with our industry counterparts. I think that's the most interesting thing I've seen over the years. And then I might also add API has the Center for Offshore Safety actually here in Houston. Yes, sir. Russell Holmes heads that up and you go back to Spotify and search it out. You can find we did an interview with Russell as well. Well, Dave, maybe we'll have you on a third time. You can talk about some standards that are under development and what kind of new standards you think are will be important to publish over the next five years. But again, thanks for coming on. Again, as always, thanks to everyone for listening, and we'll be sure and put your LinkedIn contact information in the show notes so people can contact you directly. As always, tune in again next week for another episode of Oil & Gas HSE Podcast, a reduction of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Please leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify or on whatever podcast platform you use. Like us on LinkedIn and use all your social networking to tell your friends about us. And we'll see you next time. All right. Thank you very much for having me on. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.